The first scripture comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. The birth of Jesus. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So ends the first scripture. Okay. Um, I've done this several years uh, on low Sundays, uh, when um, what the basic format for today is you're going to hear a scriptural passage, and then you'll hear a little sermonette or a meditation on that scriptural passage, and we have four of them today. And basically, I'm going to talk about the images we have of the Christmas story surrounding the birth of Jesus. They will not be the ones you've often heard of, namely Mary Joseph, and of course, Jesus. We will be discussing the less known and less talked about characters in the greatest story ever told. And again, there will be four. And this will be the first one based on the first reading that Melanie just did. Our first scriptural passage begins with the words, In those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration, and it was taken while Quirinius was governor in Syria. All, all went to their own towns to be registered. Now just stop and think about that statement for a minute. One man, in a short statement, ordered a census to be taken. Not just for one location, not just for one country, but the entire world. Imagine the power that man had to make such an order. Now, the whole world, as stated by Augustus, meant the entire Roman world, which at the time he ruled, was stretched all across the Mediterranean Sea, from Spain to what we would now call the Middle East, and from northern Germany all the way south to the entire coast of Africa. That would have meant millions and millions of people were involved in this census. And all of them would have to obey because it was a Roman order. If you did not do so as you were ordered, then the same brutal force that conquered your land would come down upon you. That was something most people with good reason feared. Truly, Augustus was the most powerful person in that world. At the same time, 
into that world and this world came another person that would one day be far more powerful than Augustus. Jesus was born, not in some palace with many attendants attending to his every need, not to royal trumpets announcing his birth, but instead in the poorest and lowliest conditions imaginable, in a stable with a bunch of other animals. After he was born, he was placed in a watering trough where animals came to drink. But we all know what became of this baby. He grew up and people gave him titles such as Prince of Peace, Son of Man, Son of God, and the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. He was indeed a powerful man. But as he stated repeatedly, his power did not come from himself. It came from God. John 7:16 My teaching is not mine but is who sent me So the distinction between these two very powerful men is clear One became powerful through brute force intimidation and total control The other became powerful through his relationship with God Now today it is not uncommon for people to seek power. We want to become a boss at work, but we know we must patiently wait to work our way up through the various job levels that work entails. Some of us seek power through politics, either running for office ourselves or aligning ourselves with some candidate in the hope that we'll be a behind-the-scenes worker for that office holder once they are elected. Some of us seek power in organizations in which we participate so that they will have a greater say in how they are run. These organizations can be charitable for public service, churches, and many, many others. Some of us seek power in our families to be the one that organizes everything and is the matriarch or the patriarch of the family. Just about each one of us seeks power within ourselves to be in control no matter what we do, how we do it, or what is happening around us. However, as can be seen through Jesus, the true source of power is from God. Perhaps the powerful positions and roles I've just suggested do come from God. But we need to be sure it is God we serve and not ourselves. If we are in a leadership position or seek to be in such a position, we need to continually question whether, we, whether what we do or what we seek is God's will. God's will and not our own. It is very clear that the path Augustus took to power was based upon his own desire for that power. It is equally clear that the path that Jesus took was not to seek personal power, but to do the will of God. The question for all of us here today is which path are we following? Are we following our own will? Or are we following the will of God? Amen. The second scripture 
comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. The Shepherds and the Angels. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you Good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. So ends the second scripture. Who... Or perhaps I should say what? Play a pivotal role in the drama that we know as the Christmas story about the birth of Jesus. Matthew tells us that it was one of them who brought the announcement of the upcoming birth to Joseph. Luke tells us that it was one of them who brought the announcement of the upcoming birth to Mary. And in our second passage just read from Melanie, by Melanie from Luke, it again tells us that it was a host of them, a whole bunch of them, who brought the birth announcement to the shepherds. I'm referring, of course, to angels. Their role in the story about the birth of Jesus has practically been immortalized by our hymn writers. Think of the hymns you've sung over this season or many before. Angels we have heard on high. The first Noel, the angels did say, Hark, the herald angels sing. To hear the hymn writers tell it, the angels had a lot to say about Christmas. And biblically speaking, those hymn writers are absolutely correct. We may not have realized it, but it is principally from angels that we learn about the significance of the birth of Jesus. But why should we care about what angels say about that birth? What is it about them that makes them reliable sources to listen to? The Bibles tell us they play an important role in communications God has with us. They are frequently referred to as angels of God. They have been described as messengers from God. Therefore, what they say or do comes directly from yep, God. In today's second passage, the birth announcement was stated by an angel who declared to us what is important to know about the birth of Jesus. I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. I am bringing you great news 
of great joy for all the people. But who needs good news of great joy? Well, if you don't know the answer to that question, I feel sorry for you. Because we all need good news of great joy. Every single one of us. Especially those who are discriminated against, cast out from society, <clears throat> displaced because of politics, war and violence. They, they need good news of great joy. Those who are suffering from the loss of a loved one or a serious disease, they need good news of great joy. Everyone needs good news of great joy. Based on personal experience, I can tell you, I believe, people are in our lives can be angels to us. They don't have to say anything. Just their presence brings us good news. Many times in my life, especially recently, I have felt that I was surrounded by angels. And the way they treated me and spoke to me, they gave me good news even though the actual news they brought maybe wasn't so good. My wife, Judy, my good friends, my colleagues at work, the nurses, the doctors, and many of you in this congregation have been angels to me because you brought me good news and you may not have even known about it. So I thank you. Merely that your presence was immeasurable was of immeasurable help to me. So the question becomes, who in our lives needs an angel? I'll bet there are many. We can all be that angel to those in need. Certainly, the homeless, the unemployed, the depressed, the anxious, the homebound, and the lonely, and so many more. They are out there waiting for an angel to come into their lives and bring them the good news of great joy. We all, each and every one of us, can be that angel. All we have to do is do it. The third scripture comes from Luke chapter 2. Verses 15 through 20. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So ends the third scripture.
The shepherds. They are one of my personal favorites of the Christmas story. To understand their significance, we need to delve deep into society as it existed almost 2,000 years ago in Palestine. In the social structure of that society, shepherds were the lowest of the low. The only ones below them were lepers who were completely shunned. Shepherds were despised by most people of the day. They were completely unable to follow all the strict rules and regulations and laws that were the Jewish regulations and laws that all Jews were to follow or try to follow. They were not able to engage in the rules of meticulous hand washings and many of the other regulations mandated by their religion. Caring for their flocks made too many demands upon them to do so. So their fellow Jews rejected them and looked down on them. Yes, they'd buy their sheep, they'd buy their wool. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. But it was to those rejected and refused people that God chose to make the most miraculous of announcements. These people were the first to learn from God, of the birth of Jesus. Why Why the shepherds? Why were they the first? I feel the answer is very significant. God chose the lowly shepherds because God wants the message of Jesus Christ to go to everyone. No matter where we are in our lives, no matter what we have done, no matter how far we have fallen, The miracle of the birth of Jesus is for us all. It is for all of us to hear. No matter how poor or wealthy, healthy or ill, suffering from a loss or being joyous over a birth, the miracle of the arrival of Jesus is for us all. The shepherds not only heard the good news, they incorporated Jesus into their lives. That is what we are all supposed to do. And then they spread the good news far and wide. That is also what we are called to do. We are to embrace the miracle of the birth of Jesus. We are to bring that miracle into our lives and then through the living of our lives spread the miracle of Jesus far and wide. I'm not talking about you have to go down on the street corner and hold up a Bible and start proselytizing about whatever you want to proselytize about. Although, if you want to, go ahead. I would be interested to see you. I'm talking about the living of your lives, your everyday lives. Live as we are called to do by Jesus. And live because you believe in the miracle of Jesus. And in that way, spread the miracle of Jesus to a world that so desperately needs to understand such a miracle. Amen. The fourth scripture comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, the visit of the wise men. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem asking, 
where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him and calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So ends the fourth scripture. The three wise men. Tradition has given the wise men some characteristics that are not described in the Bible. We don't know how many wise men there were. The Bible talks about three gifts, so tradition makes it three wise men. There could have been five, ten, fifteen, or twenty. We don't know. Also, there is no biblical reference to the men being kings. Instead, they are referred to as wise men, or as older texts would call them, magi. Some ancient historians say being a magi means that one came from the tribe of the Medeans that were a part of the empire of the Persians. We do know that they traveled from the east. If they did come from Persia, they made a very, very long journey. I've seen estimates of five months to two years. They also traveled through lands that were very dangerous at the time. At all times, they were at risk of being robbed and or murdered for the fortune they carried. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, of course, is a well-known substance. It has always had value as a precious metal. It has it today. And it has it back then. Frankincense is a type of perfume used as incense in religious services. It is a resin or sap 
from a tree that is heated. And when it is heated, it gives off a soothing smell. Myrrh is also sap from a tree, but it is used as anointing oil, such as in anointing a king. All three of these gifts were known to be gifts of honor and status, typically given to kings or royalty. They reflect what the wise men thought of this little baby laying in a feeding trough in a manger. The giving of gifts to Jesus is not limited to the three wise men. That may have been the basis for Paul's famous description of how we, you and I, have all been given gifts to be used in the God's service in the name of Jesus Christ. At Romans 12, 4 through 8, it is written, So we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, teaching as a teacher, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Perhaps that is the meaning of the gifts of the three wise men. They gave of themselves to Jesus, just as we are called to do the same. We may not have gold, frankincense, or myrrh, but we have been blessed by many gifts to be used in the name of Jesus Christ in service to God. And may we begin to do that today, right here and right now. Amen.